The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. It's Wednesday, and that can mean only one thing. Lige Dusable and Brady Quinn are joining the show. What oh, do yeah. you guys call it? Lige with Brady. Oh, Brady oh, come on, it's Tuesdays. Tuesdays on a Wednesday. There we go. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm Ryan Wilson filling in for old Wilbur Brinson here. Today, I'm going to talk about these impressive young quarterbacks, how good they were over Wild Card Weekend, what to make of a couple teams unceremoniously getting bounced from the old playoffs in truly embarrassing fashion, talk some coaching carousel news, and, of course, we'll look ahead to the divisional matchups. Uh, first things first, I'll ask you guys this first, and Lijay, you can go first if you want. What was the most impressive thing you saw from Super Wild Card Weekend? <sighs> I would say it had to be C.J. Stroud. I know Jordan Love, this is his first time as a starter, but C.J. Stroud would be a true rookie and to have the poise and, and calm and confidence that he had. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day, Brady. People were like, they were so astonished that the Browns stayed in man coverage. But I'm like, if you've been watching film, that's who the Browns are, right? They want to play a gritty type of man coverage, allow their pass rush to get after the passer. But C.J. Stroud was just unfazed by it and also – Kudos to the offensive line for the Houston Texans. They did a masterful job of really mitigating Miles Garrett, which a lot of teams find impossible to do, right. to allow C.J. Stroud to throw the ball down the field to Nico Collins. So, I mean, C.J. Stroud, again, to me, and this this may sign, sound asinine, Brady, he's a top-five quarterback in the league. He's definitely playing top-five quarterback ball right now. So, to me, that was the most impressive thing. In your first playoff start, to have that type of performance yeah. – it's it's unheard of or, or unseen that we've never seen in a Ricky Ricky quarterback do anything like that in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I mean CJ Stroud, I think, is the top of my list. Uh, right there, though, too, is Jordan Love. I mean, on the road, doing what he did to the Dallas Cowboys a defense that when you looked at him, you're thinking, like, all right, you know, are they really gonna walk into Dallas a team that just plays so different at home? But right out the gate, I Man. mean, he was slinging and they didn't stop. They had a great game plan too for the Cowboys. And it just seemed like there really was no adjustment Dan Quinn could make with that group. And they took care of business. So, again, not a rookie, but first start in the playoffs on the road and his first season starting. Uh, you got to give Jordan Love a lot of credit, too. Yeah. Both C.J. Stroud, Jordan Love playing some really, really good football. And finally, i just quickly say, uh, what about Jared Goff? I was just about to say, that was my next one, Jared Goff. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, just everything all the pressure in the world. <laughs> that went into that game, the storylines, and from start to finish, it was on his arm to get the job done. Yeah. So, got to give Jared Goff a lot of credit, too. So uh, it's funny you mentioned Jared Goff because I was talking to our buddy Rick Spielman today on the with the first pick podcast, NFL Draft podcast, if you're into that such thing. Uh, Rick's been uh, in quarantine because of his side job with the Commanders, but we were able to talk about some things. And I asked him specifically, I don't know if you guys have seen the clips. You guys are on social media a little more than me as an old man, but there's a clip of uh, Brad Holmes 
over exuberant after the game, oh, yeah. just <laughs> yelling like you know, like he's like, yeah. <laughs> Is this the one with Chris Spielman too at the front of the elevator? He's yeah. like, not, <laughs> not sure how to act. He's like, uh, show some um, emotion, Chris. Um, I, I don't know Just if I can. Bit. I don't know if I can get too excited as excited as everyone else is right now. I feel uncomfortable. I think what happened is that, uh, and Rick jokes about this, Chris and Rick are such meatheads, so they're used to yelling all the time, so he's just going about his day. But yeah. the fun story is, and I saw this, and, and Rick wasn't able to confirm it because he doesn't know, and we'll find out, but the, I think one of the headlines I saw on, on Instagram was that 20 years ago, Brad Holmes was working at a rental car counter, just trying to get his way into the NFL, and just shows wow. you how perseverance and hard work, and, and sort of along those same lines, Jordan Love, he had to sit for three years. He had to wait. He got his opportunity, started slowish, and then he's just bawling out. So those are two sort of fun stories. C.J. Stroud, too, is an awesome story. And, Brady, I want to ask you something because in preparing for last week's Super Wildcard game, I was looking around it, and you touched on it, Lee Jim Schwartz, the D.C. for the uh, uh, Browns, primarily plays cover one, little cover three, so one middle field safety. And C.J. Stroud and the Texans offense struggled against that throughout the course of the year. The touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz was two high safeties. Yeah, how do you as a quarterback? Yeah, how do you as a quarterback? Number one, why would he struggle against cover one? And number two, how do you adjust going into that game because they were lighting the the, the Browns up? Yeah, well, there's a few things. I think one, when when quarterbacks are going up against cover one, a lot of times people will say, "Well, the quarterbacks struggle." It's not the quarterbacks that struggle. It's usually the guys they're throwing to they're going to struggle to Correct. get open, get separation, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about tighter windows. Sure. So, you know, really for a quarterback, if you give me man-to-man, I am good, okay? Because I most likely know my man beaters. Mm-hmm. I know the matchup that I want to work to. It's all about figuring out what type of man coverage it is. Another thing is it's probably handling pressure. Because yep. a lot of teams in the NFL, when they bring pressure, they want to play some sort of man-to-man coverage behind it. And you're most likely – depending on the type of pressure or the type of man coverage, not going to have your back. So you're not going to have that outlet. So when people say, well, this guy struggles with man-to-man coverage, well, it's probably because he doesn't have an outlet or a check down because the back's taken away. And then he's probably going to have, if it's a timing mechanism, that's going to be impacted, especially if it's press, you know, man-to-man coverage where there's going to be a jam or even the depth of the route, right? Mm. Like if I'm normally throwing a route that it's supposed to be a nine-yard stop, might, be at, not, might not be at nine yards because of the press man-to-man coverage and timing element to that. So – all those things play a factor into what is not an exact science, but making it even less of an exact science. That's usually why uh, the combination of pressure, the combination of lack of an ability to get open, uh, more a little tighter window that plays a role in guys maybe struggling versus man to man. But I would say across the board, that's usually the case. Like if you want to give zone coverage, that's great. We'll find the windows for zone coverage. If it's a match zone, different story. We can get into that. But it was interesting because even when the Browns did go to that zone coverage, you point out the Dalton Schultz play where they got Ronnie Hickman isolated on Schultz. Correct. They still were able to find those mismatches and still able to find those, those holes and really shots that they were taking downfield, whether it was Emerson, whether it was Hickman. The Texans really didn't feel like threatened at all. I thought Bobby Slowick did a tremendous job yeah. scheming things up and then obviously CJ Trout executing on those plays. Well, well to add to that, Brady, because I was like you, I was enamored by B- Bobby Slowick in his first playoff game. I was telling him he needed to save some of that, keep it in the chamber for next week for his Baltimore. <laughs> I hope he didn't blow his wad in that first game. But we were talking about this earlier too, um, Brady, the protection element of it, right? The Houston Texans did a great I, job. I was Tunsil, though. Oh my gosh, man, Tunsil like, incredible. Top two, and I would honestly say he's pushing Trent Williams as the best offensive tackle in football. 
I mean, just from a skill point, you know, position, Laramie Tunsil, what he was able to do with Miles Garrett. Again, a lot of people haven't been able to block this guy one-on-one. We saw it numerous times. He was singled up with Miles Garrett and he didn't let him touch CJ Stroud. So a lot of times when you talk about when you're playing man coverage in that back end and guys are bringing pressure, they were giving CJ Stroud just a little bit of extra tick. And then he did a really good job of pocket awareness, maybe shifting to the left or right just to buy a little bit of time to throw open to Nico Collins in some of those situations. A lot of bad tackling from the Browns as well that added to them struggling in this game. But you know this as a quarterback or any player, right? When you start making plays, doesn't matter what a defense does to you after that. You start seeing the windows and zone coverage. You start knowing where to go in man coverage. I think he built his confidence up early in that first quarter. So even when Jim Schwartz decided to switch things up, he was like, I know what you're doing. I know exactly where to go with the football. So uh, just a kudos again to Bobby Slowick, also C.J. Stroud in that offensive line. Well, that's the funny thing, and not to just kind of go into it like, uh, you know, the, the X's and O's of, of any sort of game, but the reality is, too, when you start hitting on stuff right away as far as your openers, you've got a really good feel for what they're trying to do or what they're trying to take away. Yeah. And it's really the defense that's trying to make adjustments. And typically you watch enough film to know, hey, after you beat them for a few big plays, like usually they settle into something. There's a safe coverage. There's a safe defense that defensive coordinator is going to play. Yep. And that's where, like, you see the Dalton Schultz play. It's like, well, even in a two-high look like that, doesn't matter. They're still going to try to find a way of throwing a haymaker and throwing a shot against you. And that might have been a, in, a, in a response because we're not matching up well in man. We're not matching up well in post-eye zone. Let's kind of mix some things up and see how the rookie handles it. Still passing with flying colors. So uh, it becomes really hard for any defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn included. You know, with the way the Packers came out versus the Cowboys Man. to make adjustments when you can't get anything going right, <laughs> right? It's like it was we're tough. just trying to stop what we already saw and was executed in front of us. We can't even stop the next thing that's coming on the pipeline. And, and Ryan, I know you got to move on, but I love that you brought up that point, Brady, because I was on Twitter and everybody was saying, why are they playing this much zone? You know, the Cowboys play a lot of men. I think Dan Quinn knew with those young receivers for the Green Bay Packers, if he put those corners on the islands, it might be a long day because he went zone, then he went back to man, and they were still getting cooked in man, even with a free safety over the top. So they were running over routes and turning them into sevens. And, you know, the Dallas Cowboys corners, they're aggressive. They like to jump those over routes. And Green Bay had a plan for that, right? right. They turned those overs into corners, and Dan Quinn and the defense had no answer for it. Lee J, that's fine. This is a free-flowing conversation, and we're learning things, and that's what that's what that's what this is all about. <laughs> By the way, and this hasn't we've talked a lot, a lot about Kevin Stefanski being the coach of the year, and understandably so. Brian Gutekunst probably deserves some credit for being executive of the year if there's such an award yeah. because they are playing with young dudes at wide receiver and tight end, year one, year two guys. And you talk about what they did to Dan Quinn. Obviously, a lot of that was Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love, but the other end of those young guys, Romeo Dobbs stepping up. I mean, it's incredible to see when you hit on guys, and this is sort of this all goes back for me to the Justin Fields conversation about his future. When you hit on guys and you put a play caller in place that can get the most out of these guys, then you can cook with gas. If you don't, you have situations where Matt Cannon is running your offense to the ground. You have situations where Luke Getzky is sort of slow to get things started. And that's what I keep coming back to and sort of one of my biggest takeaways. Um, well, I also think yeah, just on that point, Ryan, like there's a big difference between, and, and I've heard people talk about this and talking about like what makes a good head coach, what makes mm. a good um, head coach candidate. I think a lot of times we do get enamored with someone who seems to be very proficient on their side of the ball, yeah. whether that's an offensive play caller, defensive play caller, and that is obviously a quality and a, a characteristic you have to have, right? Now, it still doesn't make you a great leader of men. Yeah. Right. And and I heard Pete kind of talk about this earlier this week. He's like, hey, Dan Campbell wasn't a good play caller when he was a play caller. I said, yeah, I, I get that. But he's a leader of men. He lets his coaches coach. That's great. Yeah. Here's the problem is 
you do still have to be good at X's and O's. Mm-hmm. You do still have to be able to walk into that room offensively, defensively, when things aren't going well and go, this is what we need to improve upon. This is what we got to fix. And you have to be able to kind of consult and work with that coordinator, defense or offensively, to make those, those fixes. It can't just be being about being a figurehead. It can't just be about overseeing the whole thing. You still have to be able to know your X's and O's and have that sort of prowess, at least on one side of the ball, Correct. in order to be able to earn it. So I, I do think as we get into to the, the coaches of those conversations of coaches being hired for head coaches, you know, we can be very enamored with their offensive prowess or defensive prowess, but they still have to be a leader of men. Like those are two separate hats you've got to wear as a head for coach. Sure. And you've got to be able to kind of oversee the whole thing too, but understand when you got to interject yourself when you don't have to in those instances, I guess. So uh, I do want to touch on that because I think sometimes that gets lost. We talk about scheme a lot of times. People are like, he's a great offensive play caller, be a great head coach. Not necessarily. No, no, no. That's exactly right. And I've sort of talked about that too because I think one of the issues is owners have their own opinions and owners are billionaires because – They've done a lot of things their way and it's worked. Football sometimes is, is different. And the other issue is that when you promote someone like a Ben Johnson, just for example, or Bobby Slogan, for example, you, you can't hire him to another team to be offensive coordinator. The only next step is head coach to right. get the offensive coordinator, the defense coordinator. And then you have to figure out or hope that he's a good leader as well. So that's where things get muddy. I mean, Brandon Staley's probably a good example. One of the mm-hmm. smartest guys you'll ever meet can scheme up anything for anybody. But when you overcomplicate, things for guys who maybe aren't used to it or aren't able to handle it. You get Derwin James playing like he's looks like he's only played football for, for two or three weeks. And, and that brings issues along with it as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I, I, like I said, you know, we'll see how the rest of the coaching cycle, you know, works out how it looks, but I kind of, I kind of keep going back to the fact that like it, you know, there's some guys who they're great in preparation leading up to a game, even as like an OC, and then they get into the game, they can't call plays. Yeah. And they yeah. just don't have a rhythm for it. They don't have a feel for it. But, like, I'm right. telling you, like, when they break down film, when they install a play, when they look at it, like, th- they've got it. Like, they understand how to get guys open, how to do it, but they just can't figure out when to call it during the course of a game. Like, mm. that's its own skill as well. So, aside from just breaking down tape, preparing players, all the preparation that goes into it, it's also being able to, like, be able to be that sort of shot caller once you get into a game and actually be able to, like line those things up. <laughs> That's an amazing point, right? Because we always talk about it, Brady. It's a rhythm to calling a game, right? There's ebbs and flows to a game. So it's not just on paper where like they're in 11 personnel. This is what we got to call on defense. You got to know their rhythm and what they've been doing throughout the game to counter counteract what they've been doing. So that's why it's so rare to find guys that, like you said, are leaders, leaders of men and can call the, the schematics of a game during during the course of a game. Um, Mike McDaniel's done a really good job of, of being able to do that and, and adjust. Kyle Shanahan's another guy. But again, you got to be a leader of men to be a head coach, even if you are good with the X's and O's. Lee Jay, let me let me follow up with that. And I know producer Harry wants us to move on, but I think this is actually pretty important because talking about what you guys are talking about, and then I, I want to talk quickly uh, about how the Philadelphia Eagles find themselves in this current situation with both yeah. coordinators, with the head coach. And here's the thing that I keep coming back to, and you guys know more uh, in your pinky about football than I know, but I know this much. It feels like that offense never, ever, ever, ever had answers for pressure at any point during the season. And that was a recurring yeah. theme. I Number one, it felt like the answers were throw it up to AJ and Devontae and hope they make plays. And when you start losing those guys, that becomes issues. So, yeah. Jay, I'll ask you, when you're rushing four or five or six, and you know that as defensive lineman, how much easier is it? And then, Brady, if you could follow up and just explain to me why – are the Eagles as a professional football team where they are 
in terms of their play call. <laughs> I almost want to let Brady go first because I want to. I want okay. to laugh, but but I'll, I'll explain. Like so, as a defensive lineman, and, and I played for Todd Bowles, so I knew. You know, walking off the bus, we were bring, bringing pressure no matter what. And, and to your point, Ryan, it just seems like the Eagles, the last, I would say the last seven, eight weeks of the season had no answer for it. If you go to the week before with Wink Martindale, they had no answer for the pressure. And, and Brady, you know this as a quarterback. Usually you have a pressure meeting with your center, your offensive line, the coordinators, everybody goes in into that just because you know how, uh, how important it is to have answers to counteract pressure when it comes so as a defensive lineman if we know they have no answer for it and we're sitting in different blitzes just depends on what my responsibility is I know if I could take a chance maybe go inside if I have outside safety coming inside right or if I'm supposed to stay outside I know I have to stay outside just because I know I might get a freebie right if they slide the the line the wrong way we've seen a couple guys come off the edge scot-free because the offensive line thought the blitz was coming from this way but it's actually coming from this way. So it makes it a lot easier on the on the defensive side when you know a team is struggling with pressure usually you know as defensive linemen, we hate teams that pressure a lot because we want to be able to rush one-on-one to get to the quarterback. But in certain instances, when you know a team is struggling and you can disguise which way you're coming from and they have no answer for it, it makes it a lot easier. You might get one or two layups that game, uh, Ryan, in regards to sacks. I mean, look, we could talk a lot about this because I, I think it's one of the most fascinating things about you know quarterback play and, and how they go about handling pressure. You know, There's so many thoughts to it. The first is when a team's bringing pressure from one side – are you the type of team that throws into pressure? Mm. Meaning, do you have a hot route, a guy who's going to break off his route because you know a linebacker, someone at that level is coming? Uh, or and, and if you bring a secondary defender, some people will categorize that as a sight adjust. Um, are you going to throw and break off that route because of that pressure? Or do you have a quick answer built in? Um, or you know, do, do you have a particular play that you know, you're going to have to use the fake to be able to sell out on that and boot and kind of maneuver around? Um, and so there's... There's all sorts of different questions that you have to answer and how you want to go about handling pressure. Uh, and to me, it always starts with, are we a throw-into-pressure team? Are we a block-it-up team? Are we a throw-away-from-pressure team? Usually, if they're bringing guys here, they're going to be taking a void over here and then running some guys to fill that void. Right. Well, if that's the case, there's a big gap over here. The problem is, is if you're a quarterback and you got pressure coming, there's going to be someone who's going to be uncovered. you got to get the ball out accurately to that guy, and he's got to get to that spot, and he might not even know it all the time before you get hit, right? So there's all those, those conversations you typically you know, have in regards to what type of offense you're going to run and how you go about handling pressure. The other thing as far as blocking up, and you heard Leger kind of talk about those, those blitz meetings, that all comes down to like how do you want to go about handling unique looks? Like a lot of times the look that usually gives most teams the most issues is a double A-gap <laughs> pressure, right? You have two linebackers sit over the center. you got usually uh, a guy pressed up on the outside on the slot, and it's always figuring out which one of the three, which two of the three, who's coming, who's not. Those guys a lot of times are reading the slide of the line to then determine this guy's going to fake. If the line's going this way, he's going to fake, and then he's going to rush. you know. And then maybe you might get the slot guy coming as well. It's all by design to try to stress um, trying to get mismatches in the rush. right? They're trying to get a you know running back on a defensive end. They're trying to get you know some sort of mismatch like that to get a free runner, or get a free rush, or get pressure. So, you know, the hard thing about the Eagles and how they get to this point is, you know, Nick Sirianni's call plays before, not extensively, you know, during his time in the NFL. Um, you know, Brian Johnson, their, their offensive coordinator, he hasn't called a lot, obviously, in the NFL. So I kind of went into the season thinking you lost a great play caller in Shane Steichen. Yeah. You lost a great defensive coordinator uh, in Jonathan Gannon. There's going to be some growing pains. And I think that's some of what we saw this year is I don't know that we ever got an identity for the Eagles. 
offensively. I don't think they ever addressed how to handle pressure. And I think coming into this offseason, if they, they kind of stay intact, stay put, they're going to work on all those things. They're going to have a game plan for it. We used to say, like, have your toolbox. Like, you get a look that you don't know what to do with. You go to a seven-man protection, you have a, a combination of routes you can get to that you know are going to get open. And if you have a seven-man protection, if you've got a tight end in the game, you should be able to protect up you whatever you see out there and drop back comfortably knowing, yeah, I may have to get the ball out a little bit quick, but I know one of these guys is eventually going to get open regardless of what that pressure is. Mm. Love it. All right, let's move on because producer Harry is literally running to my house right now to bum rush me for getting off script here. But I wanted to ask those questions. Um, all right, we talked about the quarterbacks that we were impressed with and the young quarterbacks. Uh, every quarterback that's now currently in the playoffs is under 30 years old, which is sort of crazy. It feels like Baker's crazy. been around forever and Jared Goff's been around forever. Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Uh, let me ask you this, because given the way that Jordan and CJ played in their debuts, how important, and Brady, I'll ask you this first, how important is experience because um, we know Patrick Mahomes has been around the block. Josh Allen's been around the block. But it feels like these guys, even Brock Purdy, got hurt in that game. So we don't really know the last last year's playoff game against the Eagles. Does it matter? Does it not matter? Are they so far along in their rookie seasons or, or their starting years that, that they're ready to go? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think the tough thing is for the guys who don't know what they don't know, me and the young quarterbacks, you know, C.J. Stroud exactly. or, or Jordan Love, like – there's a level to thinking like, dude, we're going to be here every year, right? Like <laughs> exactly. we're going to get back this every year. We're going to be in this mode. Like you don't understand how rare these oh, opportunities man. come and how hard it is to get to the playoffs, let alone get to the divisional round. So there's definitely a, like a power in being able to like watch a team play loose, play free and not have really any concerns, right? Cause you're playing with house money. And then on the other side, like there is wisdom in, Hey, we've been here before. We know how to prepare ourselves, prepare our body. Right. We know how to make adjustments in-game, too, which is always a huge piece of how things operate once you get to the playoff level as things speed up. So there definitely is an importance to that, too. But also for guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, like they understand how hard it is to get to this point, yeah. how hard it is to get through one of each, you know, each other just to get to that spot. So I, I kind of look at it and think, it's nice if you're Jordan Love and C.J. Stroud oh, to agree to sure. like, be just able to go out and say, no one's expecting us to win. No one's expecting us to come close in this case. I can go out there and play free, and, and yeah, I'll be here probably next year. Like That's most yeah. likely the train of thought. It's probably a little lighter on them, I would say, as a quarterback. For sure, and I was going to piggyback off that and say the same thing. Like you, you stated it perfectly. Like You don't know what you don't know. Like You can be naive and have success in the NFL because, like you said, they're thinking, well, we made the playoffs this year. This is what we're going to do from now on. Every year. Not knowing that it's extremely hard to just get into the playoffs, not even to the divisional round where you're blessed to, to, to advance past the wild card. So if you look at guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and even throw Lamar Jackson in there, they, they know there's an added pressure because they know they're going to have to knock off one of those three-headed monsters to advance to the to AFC championship game. So they know Lamar knows coming into this game, I'm one and three in the playoffs. This is what everybody is talking about. I got to get my team to the next level. Josh Allen, this has been the, the team that has stopped us from reaching the championship game or going to the AFC championship game twice in the last three years. So there's an added pressure, but I think there is some some added confidence knowing that we've been in this spot. Like you said, you know how to prepare. We know what it takes to get over that hump. Now it's about going to do it. But honestly, I think the guys, the younger guys are playing with more confidence because like you said, they don't know any better. They don't understand like the ramifications of getting to the divisional round and how you maybe not get there again, right? They, they're thinking like, oh, we did it our rookie year. And you look at Green Bay, I think it's the, the youngest team in the NFL. So a lot of young, naive players on that team thinking like, you know, this is, this is going to be our division going forward. We know the Lions are there, but, you know, we're hitting our stride at the right time. I think they're just playing loose and free and 
you saw that in Dallas and you saw CJ Stroud in the Texans versus the Browns. They just went out there and were more free and loose. Yeah. Hey, Brady, are we at the point in the conversation, given how offenses have evolved and trickled down to college and to high school, or you could even say that the offenses trickle up from high school in terms of the, the, the advancements, are we at the point in the conversation where young quarterbacks, sort of to what Lee J just touched on, aren't overwhelmed and they're playing with more confidence because they've been doing it longer? I think there's a few things. Like I remember when I first got into the league, like there's a few things that they immediately try to change that I was doing fundamentally. One was my footwork. Right, the types of drops that I was doing, it was a ton of work on my feet and how I need to sync my feet uh, with the drop back passing play action passing game. The other was my grip. Like mm -hmm. we worked a lot on like changing my grip on the football, um, which took me a while to feel a little, a little more comfortable with it. Uh, and so, you know, if you're working on things within your feet as well as your throwing motion or grip, something of that nature, you know, you're already kind of balanced the fundamentals of playing that position. Mm. Meanwhile, trying to learn an NFL offense and then trying to apply it how to different NFL defenses. I would say the one thing that from a grassroots, very young age, from elementary to junior high to high school now, is private quarterback coaching. And I know some guys get a bad rep. Yeah. But for the most part, it has helped prepare these young quarterbacks now fundamentally better than ever. Where when they get to college, when they get to the NFL – they're, they're not really working on too many things. They're making minor tweaks and adjustments and fixes, but it's not like you've got a guy who's – he's just a great athlete and he's just out there kind of roaming around and we've got to like really rein in his ability. Like I remember my throwing motion even through high school because I pitched and played baseball as well as played, played football. And it was always like a battle of like one part of the year you're kind of throwing the ball one way, one part uh, of the year you're throwing another way. That, yeah. So, you know, that's no longer really like what the case is. These guys specialize. They're with a coach when they're young. Yeah. And much like you've got a swing coach in golf, you got like kind of a swing coach in football where you're playing quarterback. And I think because those guys now are so much better prepared fundamentally and technically throwing the football, it really only allows them when they segue into the NFL to have to learn an offense. And then on top of that, they're not having to make the transition of saying like, hey, you played in shotgun, you're in a bunch of RPOs. Here, here's a completely different system. You're going to be under yeah. center. You're going to like, it's all like, Hey, what do you, what do you do well there? Okay. Let's implement some of those concepts. Let's adapt to more of that. So I definitely think the NFL has adjusted in a way to really for survival for a lot of these coaches and, and a lot of these, yeah. um, these quarterbacks to allow them to have systems where they can excel early on, but also they're so much further ahead with their throwing motions, you know, right out the gate where it's not even a concern when they get in the NFL. Absolutely. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk a little uh, retirement talk. Uh, not me or Brady or Elijah, but uh, some guys around the NFL. And then we'll we'll do some survival pool stuff. And Elijah, I hate to inform you, you're out apparently. You took yeah, the Browns. That's on I you, did. my man. It we'll talk about me. that right after this. <laughs> you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, Jason Kelsey, after 13 seasons, retired from the Eagles mm. and not the way you want to go out, certainly, but well, certainly hold on now. He came out on the podcast and didn't say. I was about to say, he, said he didn't, he didn't, he didn't officially Yeah, he didn't confirm that. that he retired. Well, yeah. let me ask you this, because Bruce Harry wrote this note. Did the sports media 
conglomerate do Jason dirty by leaking his retirement and not let him announce it himself? I'll, I'll go first and I'll let you go, Brady. Uh, to me, I, I get it, right? As insiders, you have a job to do, right? And I think everybody, Brady, wants to be the first. Like that's, There's this big bravado of being the first to leak this or leak that. But I just think in certain situations, when you look at a guy like Tom Brady, you look at a guy like Jason Kelsey, like, I, again, I get it. You want to be the first one to put that out, but I just think there should be some respect in regards to what this person has meant to the game. And they should have the respect to be able to come out and say whether they're going to keep playing or retire. So, like, I, again, we're I know we're in a day and age of social social media. I know we're in a, a day and age of social media where guys, you know, want to just put the news out first, put the news out first. But I think in certain instances, like with Brady and Jason Kelsey, they should have been the ones to put that news out there. I'm with you on that. I think it's um, it's obviously tough when you hear about a guy like Tom Brady, who's one of the like greatest ever, and that's unfortunately how he has to go about announcing his retirement. He has to answer those questions yeah. to the media speculation. Then we get Jason Kelsey now. And he, he's got his own podcast. Correct. <laughs> My first thought was like, Man, he's got the perfect opportunity if he wants to retire to use his podcast to do that. But I thought the thing that he brought up in his podcast that made the most sense, and I think this is why like the media should be more delicate in handling this yeah. is, you know, players and when it's the end for them, they want to do it the right way. And I think for a guy like Jason Kelsey, you know, he talked about how there's so many people that helped him along the way get to this point. And so when they find out and when when all that whenever that time comes, he wants to make sure that he communicates it to them the right way mm. and he makes sure like people understand how much they meant to him, how big of a part they were in him, you know, getting to that point. So I, I, I look at it and I completely understand like why these guys would be more delicate about it. But that's the reality of the media now. <laughs> Everyone wants to be first right yeah. now. And to, and to your point, he brought up, like you said, like everybody he wanted to thank that that played a part in to, to the great career he had. And the biggest issue for me, Brady, is, is we always had a, a saying, right? keep certain things in the locker room. Like, how did that get outside the locker room? That's my biggest issue. And if you're Jason Kelsey, like, I'm supposed to be able to trust everybody in our inner circle here. There's no way that's supposed to get out to the media. Like, I had a heartfelt message. Nick Sirianna let me talk in front of my brothers, and I was just letting them know what they meant to me, how the season was going, for everybody to keep their head up. And now this gets put out there without him actually making a formal announcement. So, uh, again, I guess just with certain players, I just feel like what they've meant to the game they should be able to, on their own accord, put whether they're going to continue to play or they're going to retire. Yeah. I'll say this. He's one of the smartest guys in the NFL, given doing what he does and the way he does it. He's one of the most athletic players in the NFL. Uh, yes. Very few times you see centers. He's undersized by offensive line standards. But his ability to get in space is insane when you watch, especially going on year 13 or whatever it is. Right. I'll ask you did, guys. Ryan, did you, hear, did you hear, though, like what he says every time they do the tush push? He's what does hater, he say? Right? <laughs> he, I, I'm not going to say exactly what he says, but he says, F, F my life. When he, when he <laughs> and, you know and, he's about to get 3,000 pounds just laying on do, top of I him. I do wonder if, if the tush push is potentially to blame if Jason Kelsey hangs it up I'm for it him down. retiring earlier than maybe he normally would have. If they just would have outlawed it, maybe Jason Kelsey plays longer. Well, to your point, remember, he got stopped last week versus Tampa yeah. Bay Bucks in the goal, in goal line situation. Yeah. 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 For so. the first time, it felt like he had undercut. I don't know. I don't think it was Vita Bay. I'm not sure who got lower than no, him. No, it was uh, um, what Gaines, Greg Gaines. Yeah, it was Greg That's Gaines. Right. It felt like the first time all season he didn't win low man, and maybe that For was sure. the the FML part of the the rest of that sentence. Let me ask you guys <laughs> this: Who is the best athlete among Travis and Jason? 
That's actually a really good question. Yeah. Because what you talked about, Ryan, I don't think people understand from the center position, like not many centers are able to snap the ball and then pull and get out of space and block not only linebackers, but defensive backs, right? That showed you what type of athlete he is. I think he still holds the record for the short settle. And Ryan, you can answer that question. I think he does own the record for short settle for offensive linemen. Like his change of direction is crazy. And his quickness and out in space is second to none. I'm going to lean toward the offensive line. I'm going to say Jason Kelsey. Well, I'm going to lean towards Travis Kelsey. Though. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're going to throw to Travis. He will formerly play quarterback. Uh, I'd love to throw him, so I think he's a great athlete in general. But you, he's got to block. He's got to catch. He he's got to be able to run out in space. And by the way, he's got to be able to dance because you can't be, <laughs> can't be with Taylor Swift. Well, did you see Jason dance. Kelsey do the, 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 the dance? I, I'm just saying. <laughs> he's, not dating, he's not dating Taylor Swift, though. So <laughs> you gotta, if, if you're going to be dating Taylor Swift, you got to be able to dance a little bit. So. you gotta have, you got to have some, some rhythm. Hey, Lige, who's the toughest interior defensive lineman you faced? You mean offensive lineman? Sorry, yeah, offensive lineman. Um, I don't like to give any offensive lineman credit. He was a tough out. Like, I knew going into that game that I was going to have to strap it up. Like, it was going – he, he was a guy that was kind of wired like me. Like, I'm going to outwork you and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's how he played the game. I always respected him for how he played the game. And we had some battles in 13, 15, and 16 that – that were epic. Super smart player too. Yeah. Super smart. Brady, do you, do you want to name a, a favorite center or, or offensive lineman, or do you want to say everybody? Oh, I loved all of them, man. I like I, I it. it didn't matter. Like <laughs> Hank Fraley when I first got in. Thanks, my oh, God. Hank, Hank, man. Alex Mack, he was a tremendous center. I got him as a rookie my third year there. Um, out in Denver, I uh, just going through that whole group. JD Walton was uh, the center board. I was there. Um, I mean, Russ Hoax. How many years you have with Joe? Joe Thomas. Uh, three, three. Yeah, he was, he was my left tackle. But yeah, I was saying, man, you remember all your centers? I mean, shoot, man, all those guys are great. So we, uh, you love all your alignment. You really do. All right, I'll ask you this quickly, and, and then we, so let, let's make it quick because Harry's we got time things to do. So you each get thirty seconds. Uh, Brady, who hardest hit you ever took? And Lige, who's the hardest person you put the hit on? Uh, Kevin Williams, week one, <laughs> Cleveland versus Minnesota, 2009. Oh, my God. He hit me so fast on, like, my first drop back of the game. I remember they were suspended. He came back. Him and Pat Williams were suspended for StarCast. Oh, yeah. And I just remember, like, he landed on top of me, like, so quick. I wasn't even at the top of my drop yet. <laughs> really? And I was already like this, and then bam. And I was just like, damn. Like, every, every part of my soul left my body and then came right back in. And I was like, okay. Uh, hopefully the internal clock didn't go off too That's fast today. Tough. Yeah. Um, my, I'm not even going to go offensive with special teams. I was going to kick return. Oh, okay. This one, kick return was real, Brady. You know about this. Trap blocks, the four-man wedge and all that. So we had a trap play, right? And Sean Lee was on the Cowboys at the time. I think this is an AT&T Stadium's first year, maybe 2010, 2011. And he's running down L5, right? Doesn't see me coming at all. <laughs> and I'm talking about toes overhead, and I felt kind of bad, right, because they did have to, like, bring him off the field. Yeah. Oh, and, but he came in later, and I hit him again just like that. Damn. Yeah, so that was – it was bad. So we had this thing when I was playing in Jacksonville. It was called Jackhammers. I, I got two footballs that day for those hits on Sean Lee. All right, man. Shout out to Sean Lee. Hope you're okay. Penn State yeah. in the house. All right. Let's say a quick break, and we come back. We'll do a little survivor pool. And Lee J, you can be uh, an observer in this. In this I guess right I'm already this. out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. All right. So last week's survivor pool playoff round, uh, Lee J took Cleveland, uh, Brady took Kansas City, and Brinson took the Bills. Uh, quick recap of the rules here, as laid out by producer Harry. 
Choose one NFL team each week. You may not choose the same team twice in the playoffs. Picks are made straight up. And if the pick is correct, you survive. If not, you get liegeed. All right, here we go. Oh, I picked third. Just, to, just for preference, I, I picked third. So damn. I didn't have a chance. That's oh, man. Up. All right. Well, Lee J, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we're, I'm picking for Brinson, so you can help me pick for Brinson. And if you, if you like Brinson, you can pick the team you think wins. If not, you can pick the team you think <laughs> How did we do it last time, though? Did, how, did it was a ra- ra- uh, Harry's supposed to do like a random thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Harry, Harry's got it. There you yes. go. Say, Brady this is what happened last picks. time. Yes, Brady, Brady I didn't go the first, first last time, did I? It doesn't matter if you go. I mean, y'all should be good right. either way. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills. That's a lot of risk. What? You take, you take Kansas City last week, right? I Kansas City. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Oh, wow. It's a lot of risk. That's the team you're taking. That's who I'm what? taking, and it was a lot of risk because it's the shortest spread. All right, their defense is all banged up. They're taking on KC. Yeah, I'm taking Buffalo though because I'll be honest with you. I, you we want to be able to save two of the other teams potentially. I see. Loot, use. Yeah. Like, oh, Okay, so you're but thinking you long there. Term. You're thinking long term. Yeah, they actually now I'm thinking though, like it's only versus <laughs> me versus Will. Because if, if you if you miss this for Will, then it's you just win. No, you win. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's you the best say? strategy then. I'm taking Buffalo. All okay. right, he's staying with Buffalo, producer Harry. I know, who, to me, I know who Ryan's going with. Yeah, Leisure, the the easy answer feels like the fight in Chris Fieldman's, doesn't it? Really? Ooh, easy. There's two nine and a half point spreads out there. Yeah. I, I'm I'm I, I think about, to me. The Lions probably are the, the 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 easiest favorite this week. Honestly, I, I'm nervous oh, about the two young quarterbacks and and Jordan and CJ. Like I, I don't think they, I don't think they have performances like that back to back. But so then again, like, like we like, talked about earlier, when you're young and naive, you just go out yeah. there and play. I, I would lean towards the Lions if I was you. Oh, okay. Right, were you going to say San Francisco? Is that what you're thinking? I was going to say San Francisco, yeah. but I'm like the way Jordan Love play. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that's 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 my concern. <laughs> um, and I'll ask you guys Lions. this. I'll ask you guys this quickly. Any concern, care, whatever about the uh, buy teams having too much time off? Well, it's funny that you said that because I actually about to probably talk about that on Spotlight. I, I think there is a little bit of concern with San Fran because let's not forget, like they did play a portion of their starters in Week 18, but Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey did. Now McCaffrey, I think, will be ready. Consummate pro. I mean, he's running downhill, but Brock Purdy three weeks off, and maybe maybe Brady, you can talk about this. Like having that much time off before a game, I would not be surprised if they came out a little sluggish. Because, again, it wasn't just like it was two weeks, right? He's been off for three weeks from my actual game by the time they play again on Saturday. So I think there is a little bit of concern. Uh, the 49ers did play a lot of a lot of their starters week 18. So it's almost like they had a regular bye. They played like a, a quarter and a half, like Debo, Brandon Ayu, Trent Williams. A lot of the defensive guys played a quarter and a half. But I think Brock Purdy not playing, uh, there is some concern that he could come out a little rusty. I don't worry as much about that. I'd rather be more rested at this point. So let's not forget too, Brock Purdy after the surgery because he got injured in last year's playoffs coming mm. back. Like, you know, you're not going to be fully 100 percent for something like that. And so probably like next year, um, yeah, you know, start of the season. So additional time on that arm to take off, let it recuperate, let it continue to heal. Amongst a lot of other players that needed more time to heal, yeah. I-, I personally would rather err on the side of being more rested Caution. and yeah. worry about rust because. I want those guys flying off the ball, you know, pounding what they see in front of them, ready to go and try to get to an AFC or NFC championship game. Yeah, and I think BMAC said he liked the time off too when they had the number one seed. He wasn't looking to to go out there and yeah. play next week if he didn't have to. All right, so I'm going to go with the uh, Detroit Lions, producer Harry for Will. And uh, I like the pick, right? You know what? If I reverse jinx it, then Rick Rick's be able to be able to come back on the podcast so that the Commanders can hire Ben Johnson <laughs> and then go go from there. I mean, it, it's a win either way. Yeah, for sure. All right. That is it. Pick 6 Podcast with Lee J and Brady is in the books. 
I'm Thanks. sad we didn't talk any draft and we have the opportunity to sit with I you. Know. know? I know. Producer Harry has strict rules and he's going to give me a, a talking to when we get off this thing. So <laughs> we got plenty of time for draft talk, no doubt about it. But it's good to see you guys. Thanks for letting me be a part well. of it. Yeah, Thanks to all you guys who watch and listen and comment. Thanks to Producer Harry. And uh, we'll be back soon with another Pick 6 podcast. See you guys later.